My message to you this morning is based on a text from John, the third chapter, beginning of verse 1. And before I read the text and before I share with you my words this morning, I want to just give you a kind of brief introduction to why I have used this particular text. Um, about a week ago, one of the members of our congregation, a lady who was about 94 years old, had said at her memorial service, she didn't want me to preach about her. She said, I want you to preach about what I believe. And uh, I had already started on this sermon, and so the content of it uh, seemed to fit very well with uh, what I wanted to share about her uh, faith and what she had shared with me. And uh, so I combined the two, and uh, I, I wouldn't want to say to you, I'm preaching to you a funeral sermon, uh, because that's not what it is. It's the heart of our faith and what has a lot to do with the meaning of our baptism. So those of you who may have been at that service, if you, it not, sounds like you're hearing something familiar, uh, that's the reason that I'm doing so. I also wanted to say just very briefly, one of the reasons I'm sort of having trouble with my Parkinson's right now is I'm being weaned from one of the medicines that believe it or not, they took it off the market after I started using it. So I have been gradually reducing it. And uh, if you're familiar with Parkinson's at all, that's kind of tricky. So I just want you to understand that. Uh, then let's hear the word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are a leader of Israel, a teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted up in the, by a snake in the, in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Here ends the lesson. Have you been born again? That makes some people a little bit nervous, I know. Uh, and maybe sometimes we've uh, had that experience by being in a, in a small park or on a street corner in a city and uh, someone of another faith raises that question and uh, we're not always sure how we can answer. We always, or usually I should say, at least for myself I can say, I usually have feelings of discomfort and an e uneasiness, not only because I don't want it to get into any disputes about differences in our faith, but also because we may not always be confident and firm in our convictions. Uh, we're not sure why we believe as we do. Uh, now, I, I can say for myself, I'm, I'm getting past that because now I fully understand uh, the meaning of my baptism. But questions about the form and practice of baptism have caused some divisions in the church down across the years. Persons who have been baptized in their infancy have come to me and said, well, uh, they really felt maybe they had not been fully baptized, that they had not had the right thing. And I've had persons who told me about why they were baptized by immersion in the River Jordan while they were traveling with other, another religious group. Uh, they felt that after hearing some of the messages of this particular uh, congregation, that they ought to also be immersed. And by standing on the banks of the River Jordan and uh, realizing our Lord Jesus himself had been baptized in the River Jordan, uh, they felt that it was such a high and emotional and spiritual high, it only seemed right for them to do so. Well, I can appreciate why they chose to respond as they did. Now there are those questions about whether we're in need of two baptisms, one called water baptism and the other referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's usually this second baptism of the Holy Spirit that these persons are referring to when they ask, have you been born again? I remember well my first experience of having somebody ask me that question. I was a, a college student in Blair, Nebraska at our church college, Dana, and my roommate and I were attending a uh, rally with Billy Graham down in, in Omaha. And by the time we had reached the crusade, it was standing room only. It was filled to the brim. And while we were standing there, there were a group of students who were walking around within the crowd who were asking that, uh, have you been born again? Now one of those students confronted my roommate first, and he said, oh yes, and he answered very quickly, but he said, then he pointed at me and he says, but my buddy hasn't. <laughs> you need to talk to him, he said. Well, you can imagine how I began to sputter and spurt and... Uh, totally embarrassed by my dilemma and I was turning red from my embarrassment and he turned to one side and walked off where he could watch me 
and a big grin on his face, uh, taking absolute delight in my predicament. Um, but I many times thought since, maybe the question does need asking. And maybe this morning is a good time to ask the question. We are all really asking the question Nicodemus was asking. How can I be born again? Be born from above and, and know it for a fact. How can I be sure that God loves and accepts me? What guarantee do I have? How can God love and accept me when I make such a royal mess of things so much of the time? It's interesting as we look at history to see how often today's gospel has been used as a proof text by various groups to support their position. How often has that slogan been proclaimed on the street corners by men and women ready to tell us precisely how this is to happen. And unless it happens to us in a precise way, some tell us we are lost forever. They go on to quote Jesus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are told there, is a water, there are water baptisms and there are spirit baptism, and we must have both if we are going to be saved. That's what it means to be saved according to their understanding. Now there is another portion of our today's gospel that I read for you to which we really need to pay attention. It can ease our anxiety about these questions if we will but trust it. Most of us have memorized it as children and we declare it to be our favorite Bible verse. We identify it as the gospel in miniature. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Did you notice that verse says nothing about being baptized in a certain correct or particular way? It speaks of a great eternal love and it extends a glorious guarantee to those who respond to that love. Well, are we ignoring baptism then and then playing it's not important? No, not at all. Remember Christ himself instituted baptism and he commanded that it be done. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all those things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you unto the end of the age. Listen carefully. What we can forget about is all those concerns about the amount of water and the some kind of worthiness or of degree of faith or maturity before it can be effective in our lives. Baptism is a vehicle of God's grace. It's not something that parents choose to do and in that choosing, uh, uh, following through on that, that's not what makes it meaningful and effective. It's the means God has chosen 
to give us all those good gifts he has in mind for us. It is his way of making a covenant promise with us. And because it is a gift, and because it is given out of his gracious love for us, we don't try to measure up or reach a certain stage in our faith journey. We simply are the recipients of God's love. That's why we practice infant baptism as a Lutheran church. Baby has no idea what's going on, can't even understand it, probably cry. Uh, but that doesn't stop what God is doing. It's his spirit at work through this sacramental act. Baptism is a matter of the water and the spirit. We may apply the water, but it is the Holy Spirit who does all the work. It is the Holy Spirit of God who sent his son not to condemn, but to save the world. It's the same Holy Spirit, powerful spirit, who called Christ forth from the dead that, be, that comes to us in our baptism. God holds nothing back. He's not a reluctant giver when he gives. He does not dish out just a little bit of himself. Everything that God has to offer is sealed and promised and given to us in the sacrament of our baptism. So yes, we, are, we have all been baptized right. Even the worst of us in our own estimations can trust our baptisms because the Holy Spirit was there, all of him. The Holy Spirit did it, and the Holy Spirit remembers even when we do not. The Apostle Paul, in a number of his letters, referred to his readers as the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Now that word saint is simply drenched with meaning. Paul uses the term in his letters as a wonderful synonym for Christ's people. The Greek word hagios means a holy person. Holy designates what belongs to God. It identifies a person who has been set apart as God's person, called and appointed to live for him, devoted and consecrated. Sainthood is a gift of God because God loves, forgives, calls, dwells in, and empowers those who belong to him. We are God's saints regardless of our performance or our adequacy. Nothing can change that settled truth. We are called, valued, cherished, and loved by the Lord. He came, lived, died, and was raised up for us. His spirit has been at work in us, convincing us of his love and giving us the gift of faith to even respond. It is with awe and wonder that we acknowledge our status as saints of God. Now the result of all this is that our hearts can be at peace. The Greek word for peace means binding together, the unification of what is broken and fragmented. 
That peace enables us to accept ourselves and others. The warfare inside of us is over and we can become peacemakers. We accept Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as the reason and the total source of our hope. John Newton, the author who composed the hymn we all know as Amazing Grace, had for years lived a wild and reckless life of rebellion until one day his heart was captured by the unchanging love and grace of God. We hear these words, in evil long I took delight, unawed by shame and fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is not religious sentimentality. For John Newton, it was his way of affirming the new life he now had in Christ. So we all need to get our hearts straight about the gospel. Our salvation, our status before God, our hope of heaven, our faith is not dependent upon our feelings or any of our human accomplishments, but on what God has done for us in Christ. This reorienting truth can liberate us. We return to the cross constantly to rediscover the truth about our condition and God's compassion. So in summary, we can say, a cosmic reconciliation has been accomplished for us on Calvary. In our baptism, Christ brings us into his family. He does that. We are never alone. His Holy Spirit is present with us and in us. Christ defeats the power of evil in the lives of those who are his. Death's power has been defeated absolutely. And so, we are alive in Christ now and forever. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.